You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for yet another episode. If this is your first time listening to the Bonfire Podcast, we want to say welcome to you. Uh, we want to uh, say thank you for stopping by and listening. We'd ask that you stay a while, listen to what we have to say, maybe go back and listen to some of our older content. And if you like what you're hearing, we'd encourage you to go ahead and give us that subscribe, uh, to subscribe and become a regular downloader of our information. We try our very best to release new content each and every week uh, on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern. Eastern Standard Time. And so by becoming a downloader, you'll be able to get that directly to your mobile device each week when we have new contact. Uh, new content coming to you. I'd also encourage you, if you have not done so already, we want to hear from our listeners. Uh, We know that we've got people listening in the United States and abroad and other countries, um, and we seem to be uh, growing our footprint, and that's great. Uh, But we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to know who's listening, where you're listening from. And so if you get a chance, just shoot us a quick email. You can send that over to bonefireministries at gmail.com. Say hello, where you're listening from. If you have a question or a prayer need, feel free to put that in there as well. And then hopefully we can give some shout outs here uh, on a podcast uh, once we get those emails coming in. So uh, with that being said, that gets our uh, housekeeping stuff out of the way. And we're going to kind of jump right in to our discussion, Dad. I'm I'm happy that we're back. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's been, uh, it seems like a long time, but it's been several weeks since we released an episode or at least a couple weeks uh, since we released an episode. Um, And uh, we have faced uh, just kind of a rough stretch here. We've had COVID quarantines. Yep. Uh, we've had uh, my, my family was moving um, into our new house. We had some inclement weather. Uh, we had a 10 inch storm, a snowstorm here in South Carolina, uh, which is pretty much an emergency type situation. Right. We're, we're not right. quite equipped for that type of, of weather. So that kind of shut everything down for almost a week here. And so uh, we're, we're on the mend now from our illnesses. Uh, the inclement weather, thankfully, has gone away, although I did see that there's a slight chance of something coming in in the next day or so. So we're going to pray that stays away mm-hmm. and uh, so that we can get back on to our regular uh, cadence here. So I'm happy to be back with the podcast audience, Dad. Happy to be here with you tonight yeah, as we're recording. Well, on this episode, we're going to be picking up our study series entitled Dear Church. Now, this uh, series focuses on seven short letters from Jesus uh, to seven literal churches, and these letters are found in the book of Revelation. And we kicked off the series on our last episode. Again, that was released just a couple weeks ago. And I would encourage you, if you missed that, please go back and listen to that initial episode because we provide a lot of background information that really serves as a foundation for the series. So go out and and check out that first episode. That first episode, we looked at the first letter, and that was the letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, this was known as the loveless church. Uh, Jesus uh, talked to them about having lost their first love. And so I had a lot to say about um, a church that was very busy, was very active in doing things, but their intentions and and the way that they were doing things were not uh, in the right order. They didn't have the first love. They didn't have the love of God in their heart and was motivating them to do what they were doing. And so uh, just a great episode there. Again, go and check that out if you haven't done so. On today's episode, we're going to be turning our attention to the second letter, and this is the letter to the church in Smyrna. Now, interestingly, the city of Smyrna 
uh, received its name from one of its principal commercial products, namely myrrh. Uh, for centuries, many centuries, it was a notable, uh, prosperous seaport city, the Port of Myrrh. And the name Smyrna actually means bitter, and it's closely related to that product myrrh. And apparently, you know, that was a fitting name, Dad, for this area, because mm-hmm. what we learn in our in our scripture today that we're going to be reading through is that Smyrna was a difficult place to maintain a Christian testimony because the church there was the most afflicted and persecuted of all the churches that we're going to talk about during this series. Mm-hmm. And because uh, the Lord found no complaint with the church at, at Smyrna, uh, Jesus speaks to this congregation to offer them encouragement and comfort. So let's take a closer look and see what Jesus has to say uh, to this church in Smyrna, the persecuted church. If you got your Bible, I'd ask you to open it with us and turn to the book of Revelation. Our scripture passages today are going to is going to come out of Revelation chapter two, uh, starting at verse eight. Dad, you got your Bible with you over there. Do you mind reading our scripture? We'll be looking at verses eight through eleven. I'll be glad to. Verse eight, and the angel of the church in Smyrna. To that angel write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Thank you. And so uh, as we look at this letter, again, a letter from Jesus, these these are uh, words written in red here in my Bible, meaning these are direct words coming from Jesus. There's three key things that we can discuss about this letter. We can look at the author. uh, We can look at the affliction that this church was uh, facing. And then we can look at Jesus' appeal uh, to the Christians there in Smyrna. And so Uh, I want us to look again just at verse 8 there really quick. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now, in ancient letters, uh, when when they would write ancient letters, it was custom to identify uh, the author uh, at the beginning of the letter versus at the end of the letter. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He identifies himself as the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Jesus begins his identification with the title that was used by the prophet Isaiah, the first and last. Listen to this. Isaiah 41.4 says, Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Isaiah 46, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am first and I am last, and there is no God besides me. Isaiah 48, 12, listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called, I am he, I am first 
I am also the last. And we see this uh, same uh, title. It gets used over, and actually in this book, in Revelation, we see it in the beginning of Revelation. And if I'm not uh, incorrect here, Dad, I believe that's actually the way this ends. Uh, Over in in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus referring to himself as the beginning and the end, the first and the last um, there at the end of Revelation. And so Jesus was clearly telling the church at Smyrna that he is the eternal God. Yet Jesus was clearly also alluding to his humanity uh, by also identifying himself as the one who was dead and came to life. This identification reveals the incredible truth that the eternal God put on human flesh and he came and he died as a man, yet still fully God, and he came back to life. I believe that Jesus opens his letter this way to remind these persecuted saints of who they're with. Uh, Think about it. Later in this letter, Jesus instructs uh, these Christians not to fear. Well, it's a whole lot easier not to fear when you know that the first and last, the eternal God is on your side and not even death can touch you. Dad, I like the way that uh, commentator John MacArthur put it. He says, knowing that they were undergoing difficult times, Christ was reminding them that he transcends temporal matters, and through their union with him, so should, so could they. Mm-hmm. And should they face death at the hands of their persecutors, beside them is the one who conquered death. Right. And so, man, what an introduction. You know, That's it's right, right there at the beginning. He says, hey, I want to let you know who's writing this letter. It's, it's me. Mm-hmm. It's e- eternal God who has been here before, will be here after all this is said and done. I'm beginning, I'm the end, and and death isn't a problem for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I tell you, that's a good way to start a letter, and that brings a lot of comfort to uh, afflicted Christians. That's exactly right. You know, as I was thinking about you giving this description that Jesus gave of himself, I quickly looked at all seven letters in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that Jesus dictated to be uh, written and to be passed on to these churches. And I thought to myself, now in every one of these letters, Jesus at the very front, as you pointed out, described who he who he is. And and uh, I think it'd be, make a great sermon. You know, I'm a preacher. Make a great sermon just to look at all seven descriptions that he gives of himself. Yeah, his uh, identification. His right? identification. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's, that's not a bad that's idea. That's Jesus' profile. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that That's perfect. And so... We see his uh, identification, his introduction, it says to these Christians, hey, this is Jesus writing, and I'm the eternal God. Again, I was here before, I'll be here after, all this is said and done, and I've got the keys uh, to conquer death. And uh-huh. and again, that just gives a lot of encouragement. So we see that uh, this this author, but we can also see that these Christians were under affliction. And so uh, Dad, verse 9 speaks to the affliction that these uh, church and Smyrna were under. And as I was just looking at it there in verse 9, it talks about tribulation, poverty, and blasphemy. Right. Tell us more about what these uh, Christians are facing there in Smyrna. Uh, that's right. Well, they're facing two things, troubles on hand and trials to come. Now, I'll focus on these troubles on hand and kick it off to you to talk about their trials that he mentions in verse 10 that's to come. Well, in verse 9, Jesus points out three things that troubled these people. Now, According to verse 9, one of their troubles was tribulation. Now, being Christians in America, very few, if any of us, have ever experienced real tribulation in the biblical sense of the word. Sure, someone may have turned their heads when we pass by or 
cursed at us because we serve the Lord Jesus, but that is nothing close to the price the early Christians paid for serving the Lord. Now, the Greek word for tribulation means pressure. Back during the Apostle John's time, it was a word used to describe the pressing of grapes until the juice flows freely. So, it was a dangerous thing to be a Christian in Smyrna. One reason in particular why the Christians in Smyrna were persecuted and lived in continual jeopardy of life was because Smyrna was the greatest center of of emperor or Caesar worship in all of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Around 200 years before Christ, the Roman government was looking for a way to bring their culturally and religiously diverse people closer together. And they decided, since there was no universal existing religion, they would make one where the spirit of Rome would be worshipped. That was the thing that made Rome, Rome, the spirit of Rome. Well, the first city in all the Roman Empire to build a temple to the spirit of Rome was Smyrna. Later, because the concept of the spirit of Rome was so vague and intangible, they began to look at the emperor as the embodiment of the spirit of Rome. So images of the emperor began to be erected in worship. Just prior to the crucifixion of Christ, Smyrna competed with five other eastern cities for the honor of building a temple to the reigning emperor Tiberius. Smyrna won the honor. The citizens of Smyrna were proud of their Caesar worship. For years, emperor worship had been voluntary. If any man worshiped the emperor as a god or called upon him as deity, he did it of his own free will and choice. But as time passed during the reign of Domitian, and the later days of the first Christian century when the book of Revelation was written, emperor worship became compulsory. A man had to do it to show himself a loyal citizen of the empire. The law was that every subject in the Roman Empire had to take a pinch of incense and burn it in the temple dedicated to the emperor. And while burning that little pinch of incense, he had to confess that the Caesar or Roman emperor was Lord, and this had to be done once a year. Now, this worship was not a test of orthodoxy, but a political loyalty. For after he burned that pinch of incense and said, Caesar is Lord, he could go his way and worship any god or goddess he pleased. But the Christian would not take a little pinch of incense and, and burn it on an altar, bowing down, confessing Caesar's Lord, because to the Christian, Jesus is Lord. Because the Christian would not bow down to the image of Caesar, he was looked upon as a traitor or being disloyal to the Roman government. In a vast empire like Rome, rulers could not tolerate disaffected citizens who, in their opinion, might grow into storm centers of insurrection and rebellion. Thus, the heavy hand of the state was on the Christian wherever he lived in the Roman Empire, and he was liable to be persecuted at any time. To be a Christian anywhere in the empire was to take one's life in his own hands. This was especially so in the city of Smyrna, a place that prided itself as being the center of Caesar worship in all of Asia. Because persecution was not continuous, but was liable to break out at any time due to informers being numerous and frequent, 
The Christian was like a man whose head, the sword of execution, was constantly poised over, and he never knew when it might fall. You know, there was a lot of pressure on the Christians in Smyrna wondering about when they were going to be turned in and caught. Another thing that troubled these uh, people besides pressures of persecution was the false propaganda of some of the Jews in Smyrna. Verse 9 says, The blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, the word blasphemy normally refers to slander against God, but it can be translated slander against man. Now, in this context, theologians are almost universally agreed that it refers to slanderous and blasphemous statements that were made about the Christians. Now, there was a good number of Jews in Smyrna, and some of them were bent on doing what they could to fan the fires of persecution against the Christians there. And there probably was one or two reasons for this. First of all, they sincerely felt that Jesus wasn't who Christians said he was, the Messiah. So they tried to do all they could to hurt the cause of Christ. Now, Jesus spoke of a time when people would kill Christians thinking they were doing a service for God. He told his disciples in John 16, 2, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. By killing Christians, or in this or in the case of some of the Jews in Smyrna who spreaded lies about Christians so the pagan Gentiles would kill them, the Jews felt they were doing a service for God. Well, second, another reason some Jews may have spread some false propaganda on the Christians may have been to take attention away from themselves. Because the Jewish religion was a recognized religion, they were exempt from sacrificing to the emperor. But due to their not burning incense to the emperor, Uh, they were looked upon as suspect. So to take the attention away from themselves, they got in with the government officials and spread lies about Christians. Now, some of the false propaganda on Christians that got out during Domitian's reign and incited the pagans to persecute the Christians was that the Christians were murdering their children, eating people like cannibals, Mm. and were rebellious to the government. No wonder the Christians were persecuted so much. Jesus said the Jews who wrote and spread such false propaganda were not Jews, but of the synagogue of Satan. The full and official title of a Jewish synagogue was the synagogue of the Lord. But since the Jews were so busy opposing the Christians doing the job of Satan, the adversary of Christ, Jesus called them like he saw them, the synagogue of Satan. To give you a real example of how the Jews were hostile to the Christians in Smyrna around 150 A.D., after the bishop Polycarp, uh, the saintly pastor of the church of Smyrna, was arrested, it was noted that the Jews cried loudest that he should be thrown to the lions. And when the order was finally given for him to be burned alive, the most diligent of the crowd to fetch wood for the pile was the Jews. Besides the pressure of persecution and the propagation of the Jews uh, or the false propaganda, the third thing that troubled the saints at Smyrna was their poverty. Now, the Greek word Jesus chose to use here for poverty in verse 9 means actual beggary. They were not just poor in the sense that they did not have enough to eat, or they had enough to eat but did not have anything extra. They didn't have anything. Uh, This word means 
absolute destitution. They were the poorest of the poor. They did not have anything of this world's goods. It's very possible that their poverty was related to their pressures or tribulations. Back during this time, most every workman belonged to a guild, and every guild had a certain patron god or goddess. Now, the life of the workman in the guild was organized around goddesses and gods. Days of festivity and worship were set aside as sacred to the deity. When a Christian stood by himself and refused to share in the worship and festivities to false pagan gods, he was immediately marked off. His faith, having cut him off from the job he would hold, from the work he would do, thus making it hard for him to find employment. In other words, he was counseled. We've heard of council That's culture right. today. This was the first council council culture. This was the first council culture. Another possible explanation for their poverty was that some of their homes had been pillaged. Now, whatever the cause of their poverty, one thing is a fact. Persecution cannot stamp out the church, neither can poverty. But today, can the church survive prosperity? Someone has observed that the early churches were marked by material poverty and spiritual strength. Churches today are marked by material wealth and spiritual weakness. Mm. The saints at Smyrna had lost whatever material possessions they once owned, but according to verse 9, in the sight of the Lord, they were wealthy. The parenthesis in verse 9 says, but you are rich. How are they rich? They are rich because by working and suffering for the Lord, they had invested their treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. During a time of economic depression, a Christian who in his prosperous years had given away large sums of money to the Lord's work was rendered destitute by economic collapse. He was asked, Aren't you sorry now that you gave so much of your money away? Oh, no, he replied. That is all I really have. Friend, all of our sacrifice and labor, if done in the right spirit, will come back to us as a reward with interest when we get to heaven. And let me add something else here. All this garbage piped in over the television by these Pentecostal prosperity preachers that say that God's will is for you to be rich materially down here is a bunch of baloney. They should read about the Christians in Smyrna who were poor materially, but rich in Jesus. Now, before moving on for verse 9, uh, I want you to notice the comfort our Lord gives to this church. He begins the sentence in verse 9 by saying, I know. In other words, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews that are not. Now, in the Greek language, there were two basic words we translate to know. One meant to know by observation. I know, for instance, that if you swing at a nail with a hammer and miss the nail and hit your hand, it's going to hurt. I know because I've seen people do that and I've seen the pain on their face. I know by observation that it hurts, but I also know by experience that it hurts. I knew my calling in life wasn't carpentry because I hurt my thumb many a time with a hammer. There's a difference in observation and experience. The word which Jesus used here means to know by experience. Jesus knew what they were going through because he had already gone through it. While on earth, Jesus suffered persecution, 
the ultimate result of his persecution was that he was nailed to the cross. Jesus also suffered poverty. Matthew 8, 20, Jesus said, The Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. And Jesus knew from his earthly experience about people who who uh, put forth lies about him, false propaganda. As a matter of fact, during his trial, he was falsely accused of trying to incite rebellion against Rome. Jesus not only meant when he said, I know that he had experienced tribulation of this type in the past, he was also going through it with them now. When Paul of Tarsus was persecuting the church, Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Hebrews 4.15, the scripture says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with our infirmities. That means that whatever touches me touches him. Nobody hurts me that does not hurt him. Nothing hurts me that doesn't hurt him. When I hurt, he hurts. When I'm oppressed, he is oppressed. Whatever comes to me, Jesus said, I know because I share it with you. And Jesus will be with us in our suffering and pain from the beginning to the end. Going back to what you said in verse 8, Jesus described himself as the first and the last. Now, we've looked at the troubles on hand, but now, uh, Matt, you're going to pick it up and, and add to that. You're going to tell us about the trials to come that's found in verse 10. That's right. Let's look at verse 10. It says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Notice that word about. Indeed, the devil is about, again, that word about, to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, Dad, what I find interesting here is that uh, Jesus has already acknowledged their tribulation, their poverty, blasphemy that we talked about, but he tells them, guess what? There's more coming. And in fact, he tells them that it it, it actually could get worse. Um, It's kind of the message that he has here, that they were going to be those that were going to be thrown into jail. They were going to be imprisoned for their faith, um, and they were going to be tested and will have tribulations for, for 10 days. And then ultimately says, be faithful unto death, meaning that there was a risk to their life that was coming right. for him to have said that. And so these Christians, as they're getting this letter, it had to be concerning to them that to see their, their situation that they're in and the persecution that they're facing, and then to hear that there's more on the way. But God, in his infinite wisdom, he gives them uh, two commands that I want us to take notice of here in verse uh, 10. He says, be fearless and be faithful. The intent of these words uh, is to prepare the church for more suffering that was going to be coming their way, as we've talked about. Jesus specifically tells them that the devil was behind all of this and that he would be after them and he was going to imprison them. But Jesus gives them a time limit. He says 10 days. Now, Dad, we were talking about this right before we got started here. Bible scholars kind of argue all, all over the place as to what this 10 days refers to. But most people, I think, can agree that it probably means that it was a limited time frame, meaning it's not going to last forever. Right. And and that it wouldn't be long. And particularly if they looked at it in contrast to eternity, it was not going to last forever. It would not be long. But to be clear here, Jesus was not telling uh, these Christians that they— uh, these suffering saints, that they should just keep a stiff upper lip or to keep their chin up or just keep smiling or, or grin and bear it. What he told them was to depend on him, 
to be convinced of him, to let him be their strength and their courage. Again, he wanted them to remember that he was the eternal God and ultimately that he has all things in his control and that even death was no problem for him. By saying be faithful, he wanted them to put their full trust and their reliance in his strength and his power because without that he knew they were no match for the tribulations that were coming their way. And for those who heeded his commands, he promised a reward, Dad. There in verse 10, he says, um, at the end of that verse, it says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life is the reward that Jesus mentioned here. Now, the crown of life is one of five crowns promised to faithful believers uh, at Christ's return. This crown, though, isn't for us to, to wear or to flaunt in heaven, but rather we're going to take our crowns that we are given and we're going to present those back to our blessed Lord and worship of him. Jesus uh, closes this kind of sec- this letter, actually, the whole, the whole letter here in verse 11. I want us to read that together. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I, I love this verse here, Dad, because, again, it's another promise, and you can even say it's another reward that's being offered here to the readers uh, not not only the church in, at Smyrna, but this is also, as we talked about in our first episode, this letter is for us uh, mm-hmm. to learn from as well. Jesus promises that for those that listen to the Lord and follow him will overcome this life and the tribulations that are involved in this life. And one day when we draw our last breath, we will overcome death. But we, we will overcome not just the first death, but the second death. And Dad, we've talked about this on this podcast many times, that that second death refers to the final judgment, and second death being uh, the the sentence of being cast out and being separated from God from all eternity. And he was saying that we'll not be hurt by that second death. Our gift is going to be eternal life with Jesus forever. Mm-hmm. And all of the troubles and all the tribulations of this world and all the things that we've faced will fade away, and uh, we'll be able to serve God and to worship him forever uh, in eternity. And that's just a great encouragement there given to a very persecuted church. That's right. That's right. In regard to their trouble on hand, Jesus comforts. In regard to their trials to come, Jesus controls. In regard to their triumph at the end, he crowns. He crowns. You know, Matt, as you were uh, talking and and, uh, starting out the podcast today, I, I quickly was kind of scanning over these seven churches that Jesus dictated letters to. And... Of the seven, there's really only two that Jesus didn't find fault with. That's right. I mean, we go back to the Loveless Church, the church of Ephesus that we talked about uh, last week. And in verse 5 of Revelation 2, Jesus said, uh, remember where you have fallen and repent. Uh, let's, let's go back to verse 4. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. And Jesus said, I've got something against you. In this case, you've left your first love. And then... We're going to be looking at the church at Pergamos the next time we come back together. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, But I have a few things against you. And, of course, there were other churches that Jesus spelled out things that he definitely had against them, like in the church at Thyatira, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. But you see, Jesus didn't have anything against his persecuted church. That's right. And, 
you know, today we live in a time when, you know, we have, uh, in my opinion, false teachers, preachers uh, that are getting up there and, and, and uh, pushing their lies that, you know, God wants you to all be rich. And God wants us to be rich in heaven where our riches won't fade That's and right. where people, uh, thieves won't break through and steal. And uh, But they're pre- presenting the fact, oh, you could be rich down here. Let me tell you something. The church has got everything. The believers has got everything down here generally is not going to be that committed to Jesus. When you get down to where you've got hardly nothing, Jesus is all you got. You find out he's all you need. Mm. And and they, Jesus was proud of these Christians. He said nothing against them. And he let them know that the crown of life was there waiting up there and ahead of them. That's right. you know, And that's what I want, the crown of life. That's you right. know, all the earthly, earthly accolades and uh, pats on the backs, nothing compared to that crown of life. And and like you said, Matt, we don't want it to, to strut around in heaven and wear it on our head, but have something to cast at the feet of Jesus. That's what it's for. That's right. To give it back to him. And that, as you were talking there about, um, you know, thinking about uh, just being around Christians all my life, being a pastor's son, and, and, and you know this obviously well, I can think about there's been people that we've known that you knew very well they had little to nothing, but some of those people, they could pray, and they studied the Bible, and they they felt like they were rich because they knew that their treasure was in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I, and it just occurs to me, I think about some of these dear, precious, older people that we've known, and again, didn't have probably two dimes to their name, mm-hmm. but man, they, they were powerful in their belief and in their faith and their, their ability to pray down heaven. Um, and, uh, yeah, they were rich and, right. and they, and they knew it, uh, that they were rich, uh, rich, spiritually rich. And dad, as I was thinking about this podcast, you know, this is about a persecuted church. And we talked about last week, there's application, uh, multiple fold application here. This, this letter was written to a real church that existed in a real period of time. Uh, this letter can be uh, viewed as individuals. Uh, and we need to assess it. What does it mean to us? Um, and it also can be churches that are, are in existence today. And, oh, yeah. And so I was thinking about it, Dad, that there is a, still a persecuted church today. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we did a, our episode. It's been uh, several months now where we were praying for Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You know, when we had that whole debacle with the, the government kind of collapsing there. And, mm-hmm. and part of our prayer was praying for Christians that were there. Mm-hmm. And those Christians are being persecuted right now. It was not too long after we, uh, you know, recorded that episode that I saw news reports of them hanging Christians from cranes mm-hmm. in the middle of the street. I'm talking about a crane that was hundreds of feet in the air. They wanted to put that Christian on that crane and hang them up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I think about in different places of the world where you can't speak the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. There are people that are in jail right now because they had a piece of a Bible. They had mm-hmm. like a page mm-hmm. they had ripped out, and they went to jail for that. Mm-hmm. And so the persecuted church is still here today. We in a Western society, we don't see it, though, mm-hmm. you know. We're very privileged uh, here in the Western society here in in the United States because we don't have persecution like likes faced in elsewhere in the world, and uh, I think that's something that we need to be cognizant of, and we need to pray for our brothers and sisters that are around the world that live under dictators and live under uh, rules where you know whether it be a Muslim a country where it's a closed door country where they can't you know have the gospel. We need to pray for them and pray. Mm-hmm. For this persecuted church, because the folks that we're reading about here in the church at Smyrna, they're still here today, That's and right. it's still happening. And then here in America, you know, 
Uh, many times you may post something on social media that is a Christian post and you may get a dislike or someone puts a nasty comment under it. And uh, many times we, we think to ourselves, well, I'm facing persecution. Well, let me tell you, friends, that, that, ain't, that ain't persecution. No. Uh, that, not, not like our brothers and sisters around the world are facing where their lives are in jeopardy. Uh, they're in, stricken with poverty, just like the church at Smyrna, uh, because they're they're blackballed from society. They're kicked out of their family uh, for their beliefs. Um, they're they're beaten. They're killed. I mean, it's, it's just terrible. We haven't faced that here in the United States. But I do want to say that I, I can see the tide turning here in Western society as our uh, society continues to uh, dissolve morality. And, and, and kind of slip further away from its uh, its moral compass, that uh, we're going to face persecution. And it's coming our way. And I think the Bible even talks about as we near end times, uh, that there as the end time pressures increase, so will the persecution of the church. And, uh, you know, Dad, I've been impressed um, at the in the last little bit. You know, the Bible says clearly we, we, we don't know the day or hour when the Lord is going to return. Mm-hmm. But I feel strongly that we are closer to the Lord's return. I can confidently say we're closer than we have been before. That's right. And uh, But I feel like his return is near, and uh, you can just see the stage is being set, uh, that persecution is coming. And, and for us uh, that have lived in an area where we could freely speak the name of Jesus and we didn't have to worry about any type of repercussions, uh, there's a day coming very soon, I think, where that's going to change. And, you know, we talked about it just a few moments ago. Remember when we mentioned the word council, council culture? That's right. Now, that's a light form of persecution, but, hey, that's taking place. What's the name of the guy that sells, you know, the bed sheets and the pillows? Yeah, uh, Mike Lindell. Right, boy, he's experienced it. Yeah, he he, he definitely has. You're you're right, and and that's kind of like the first layer. Uh, uh, of where, you know, you stake a stand, whether it be on a, a conservative, uh, a Christian value, and then that, that goes against the way of the world, and immediately they come back and, and they try to take away, whether it's your business, your ability to sell, or uh, whether, if you know, uh, your ability to, to uh, buy things and, and do things in the market, that, that's definitely there, but I think it's going to get worse. Um, it's definitely coming. Uh, our direction. And that's something we need to be prepared for. I, I think many Christians, at least in the Western society here, which is where our larger listening base is from, we've never really had to pay the the price uh, mm-hmm. for Christianity like our, our brothers and sisters elsewhere have. And, and that's something that I think all of us, as we're listening to the podcast now and studying this letter, we need to think about paying the price right? Uh, because there's going to come a day where we're going to have to pay the price for what we believe. Mm-hmm. And we need to be prepared for that. Exactly and I need right. to be able to take a stand. And, you know, um, Dad, I was as I was studying uh, this uh, lesson uh, and the, for the podcast, um, I, I just keep coming back to to uh, Jesus's introduction, first and last, the one that overcome uh, death. And uh, as I was studying, I heard a song, and it's a, it's an a older older song, and I just wanted to share the lyrics here because I, I think this is is probably. If these lyrics were available, this is something that the the church at Smyrna would have been saying. It says, bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all my questions, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the message, you know, Jesus wanted to get through to them mm-hmm. is that, hey, I'm, I'm the eternal God. I'm, I'm here. 
I was here way before all this persecution came. I was here before these Roman emperors. I was here before um, all the, the, this blasphemy uh, that, that's being said about you, and I'll be here after, mm-hmm. and I've got uh, the, the ability to conquer the grave. And uh, our God's a big God. And so as, a, as our listeners, as we wrap up here, I just wanted you to consider a couple things here. Uh, one, I want you to be in prayer for the persecuted church around the world. If that's something that you're not in the habit of doing, I'd, I'd ask that you add that as part of your prayer routine. And you may say, well, I don't know who to pray for. Well, I can, I can promise you, you just start praying uh, to God and saying, be with my brothers and sisters who live in countries where they're being persecuted, and, and, and that'll do. Uh, but it's, it's pretty easy to, to think about the areas that are um, uh, hostile to, to Christianity, and that's most likely where a persecuted church is at. So I'd ask you to do that. I'd ask you to consider what, what cost or what price are you willing to pay uh, for your faith? Uh, because, again, I think there's coming a day here when we're going to have to do that. And then lastly, uh, just thinking about uh, the reward and the promise that Jesus made here. You know, uh, those who are faithful, faithful even unto death, there's a crown of life waiting for us. And then ultimately, we are not going to be hurt by death. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be hurt by the first death or the second death. We're going to be given eternal life mm-hmm. with Jesus forever. So uh, just consider those things. I hope you'll join us again next week as we tune in and look at the next letter. Uh, that we have here coming from Jesus. And uh, it's just been a great series thus far. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Dad, if you'll pray us out of here. That's right. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, we're not worthy of your love. I know I'm not. I'm thankful, Lord, you love me in spite of all my failures. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for for the promise of eternal life that, Lord, we cling to. And our Heavenly Father, we know that there are perhaps people that will run across this podcast that uh, they have not given their life completely to Jesus and surrendered to Him as the Lord of their life. And, Father, I pray that they will repent of their sin. That means turn away from their sin uh, because sins what caused Jesus go to the cross, to be beaten and to go through that agony. Lord, may they turn away from it. May, may, may they put their faith in what Jesus did uh, to take their place, their punishment on the cross where they might not be punished. Trust in Him for the forgiveness of sin and cleansing that they might go to heaven one day and live with you for eternity. Now, Lord, as, as Matt said, we think about our Christian brothers and sisters in, in Korea, in Iran, in China, and a lot of, uh, of Muslim countries or countries in Africa where Christians are, are persecuted severely. Oh, God, we pray for mercy to be shown to these fellow believers. Help them to be faithful to the end. If, Lord, if, if death is required, may they be faithful to the end, our Heavenly Father, and not value their lives more important than their commitment to Jesus. Father, they need extra help and strength to do that, Lord. And Father in heaven, I, I pray, Almighty God, for those Christians that's in prison, that's serving uh, years, uh, years of sentence because of their faith in Jesus. God, we pray that you would feed them, that you'd clothe them, that you'd keep them safe from illness, dear God. Put a cover upon them, God. Use them as, as evangelists in the prison. The devil can shut them up, but he can't, and behind bars, but he can't shut them up from sharing the love of Jesus. So God, help them to be bold, and Lord, to be able to stand up to pressure and beatings. And we pray for 
our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. God, our hearts go out to these that were abandoned, that were left behind by our 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 government uh, when we pulled our troops out. And our Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would help them uh, to to survive. Lord, some of them have got uh, wives and children, Lord, that uh, they are the breadwinners. They make the, the money for their children to eat food. But God, help them to remember your promise that the seed of the righteous has never been found begging for bread. And we cling to that promise for them, Lord, that are facing starvation because they've been pushed out of the jobs and have no place to work. Please, we know, Lord, you're going to be faithful to provide for your children some way, somehow. And, Lord, those that stumble across this podcast in foreign lands and even in America where they're persecuted, God, help them to remember these words and to remember that this persecuted church is the only church, along with the church at Philadelphia, that did not receive a stinging rebuke from Jesus. God, we we know you'll be proud of of the church at Smyrna when they're judged, and we want you to be proud of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.